Our text for Easter uh, this morning is taken from 1 Peter. It is uh, printed there for you in the bulletin. I would like for you to turn your attention uh, to God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this day. Father, we're thankful that actually every Sunday we come to worship because Christ is risen and to give him praise and thanks and glory for what he accomplished 2,000 years ago. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that the power of the resurrection of Christ would enter into our lives and that we would see Jesus. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Some of you might remember the game uh, show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Um, the contestants on the show would have to answer a series of questions. And if they answered all the questions correctly, uh, then they would win a million dollars. And the host, after the contestant would answer a question, would always ask, is that your final answer? Uh, one of the um, parts of the show is that one could call a lifeline. If they didn't know the answer, they could, they could call a, a lifeline. A man named John Carpenter was the, the first to win the million dollars. Uh, he answered all the questions. None of them wrong. And he got to the last question, and the host asked him, who was the only present to appear on the show Laugh-In? And so John decided to call his lifeline, and his lifeline was his father. And when he called his dad, he said, hey, dad, I don't really need your help. I just want you to know I'm going to win a million dollars. 
Well, I wonder how he started the show. Nobody had ever won a million dollars. Nobody had answered all the questions. And I'm sure he had some vague notion that perhaps uh, he might win a million dollars that would change his future. But when he knew the final answer, and he was certain about that final answer, his hope was realized. Our text tells us that Christians have a certain hope because we have the final answer. Peter says this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I prayed a lot about this Easter sermon. And it's my earnest prayer that not only would we understand the resurrection or some intellectual way uh, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but that we would understand the full implications of what that means uh, in our lives. Uh, no, no vagaries, no more vagaries about the resurrection. No, well, I, well, I hope that it's true will ever lead to the great life that God has to those who believe. The resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago has changed everything. And because of his resurrection, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to apply all the benefits of his resurrection in our everyday lives. Now, Peter says a lot about the implications of the resurrection. There's too much to see this here. And so I want to focus on three things this morning. The reality of Jesus' resurrection. The results of Jesus' resurrection. And the replication of the resurrection. So the first thing that I want us to look at is the reality of Christ's resurrection. It's right here in verse 3. We just read it. Let me read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, Peter does not tell us that we are born again uh, because of the teachings of Jesus or because we are obedient to those teachings. But it's because of his resurrection. It's not his teaching even though that's important, and it's not our obedience, though that is important. It is his resurrection. This is the hope that the gospel brings into a world that is marked by death. 
The final answer is not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and do the best you can to be a good Christian. And maybe, perhaps maybe when you die, you will merit eternal life. But the gospel is to trust in him who is our substitute. That he lived the life that we cannot live. And he died the death that all of us deserve and has been raised as the sign of our justification. That our debt is paid in full. And because of the work of Christ, the scripture says that God himself remains both just and the justifier of those who believe. And so this morning we celebrate his resurrection, resurrection that is proof positive that a Christian is united to his death and resurrection. That is his work, all that he has done, and nothing that we do that gives us this living hope and the final answer. The physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece and the foundation upon which Christianity stands. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. What great logic to a reality. Because Christ is risen. If he's not risen, Tim Keller says this, it's printed on your bulletin. If Jesus rose from the dead then you have to accept all that is said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why even be here this morning? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. But some of you this morning might ask, but how can I know? How do we know it's not a fairy tale or a myth or a, or, or a, or a legend or some uh, religion that's invented by man? How can we be certain that he was raised from the dead? And how can we, like John Carpenter, who knew the final answer to a very finite question, Know that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the final answer to the ultimate cosmic question, was Jesus raised? Now, I want to give a little bit of application here for just a moment, and, and I, I, I want to be gracious uh, how I ask this question. It's not a challenge. Uh, it's not to be churlish. John Carpenter studied to know the answers. 
because he wanted to win a million dollars. And so the question ends up being, have you studied the claims? If you have your doubts, you have your vagueness, or maybe you're not a believer here today, and you say, I just, I, I just cannot... I just cannot believe that a body can be raised from the dead. That goes against science. That goes against uh, all empirical data. Dead people do not rise. Well, my question is, have you studied? If I ever want to feel dumb, I watch Jeopardy. Uh, because I don't know any of the answers. Until it you know, has the Bible column, I get all those right, and then I think they're dumb because they can't answer them. But you see, I have no desire to appear in jeopardy. Those who want to appear on the show give diligence. If you want to appear in heaven, you might well do well to study the person who said that he is the door and the and the way uh, into heaven. Have you made that study? Have you, have you just continued to go, well, okay, I hear about the resurrection of the dead. I grew up in the church, but it has no net impact on my life. It doesn't change me. It doesn't give me this great life of hope and faith, no matter what my circumstances are. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about the resurrection of Christ. No fact in history is better attested than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It must not be denied by any who are willing to pay the slightest consideration to the testimony of their fellow man that Jesus who died on the cross and was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea did literally rise again from the dead. I could give you a lot of facts this morning. Rational reasons uh, that should challenge even the most uh, skeptical of all. But time does not allow me to, but I want to give you just two briefly. Uh, the first one uh, comes uh, from a quote by Chuck Colson. Some of you who are older know who Chuck Colson was. Uh, he was uh, Nixon's right-hand man during Watergate. Uh, he was known as the hatchet man. Uh, in his own testimony, he said his whole life was about power. His whole life was about building a name for himself. And then it all crumbled. And by God's grace, he came to faith in Christ. And he wrote this concerning the resurrection. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that, the truth, that truth for 40 years, never denying it once. They were beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. 
they would not have endured if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. And you're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years. It's absolutely impossible. I mean, if you're not a believer today, I mean, this is just, this is one, uh, just one uh, example of why we should consider the resurrection of Jesus. But it's not only the apostles that died for this, but thousands upon thousands of Christians in the first century died, many of them, 500 according to 1 Corinthians, because they themselves had seen him raised from the dead. But the second reason that we should believe this is because the scripture itself simply states it. Here it is in our text for the man who died for it. A man who denied him before his resurrection. He says that Christ is raised from the dead. And we have this living hope. But all the scriptures testify to this Messiah who would come into the world and suffer for sinners and be crucified on our, de- on our behalf and be raised from the dead. I could give you many scriptures that just states it over and over. But Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also re- received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. These men testify to this truth. To deny the resurrection of Jesus is to say to the millennium of martyrs, not to mention the ones who are dying this past week for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to say they are but fools. So that's the first thing, the reality of the resurrection. The second thing that Peter teaches us is the the results of the resurrection. So what is is the result? What are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you're a believer this morning? Well, we see this in verses 4 and 5. He has caused us to be born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ it's changed the history of the church, uh, of the world, and the future of God's people. It's a turning point in the history of the world. N.T. Wright, uh, the Anglican scholar, uh, writes this Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize the earth with a life of heaven. And that, after all, 
is what the Lord's Prayer is about. We're not translated immediately into heaven because God wants to bring that resurrection power in our lives that we might be living witnesses to a world that is dying. So how has Jesus' resurrection impacted the lives of those who believe that we see here in verses 4 and 5? Well, there's, there's so many that are here, I, I can only hit on them, but, but I really want to focus on one. First, he says we have this inheritance. You, you don't earn an inheritance. Through Christ's death and taking our debt, the poverty of our sin, he is able to give us this, these riches to come. We have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing to those who believe an inheritance to come. But then he tells us about this inheritance. He tells us that it's imperishable. Everything in this world is perishable. Buy a banana and it will rot. Buy an apple and don't eat it in time, and it will go beyond right, and it will begin to rot. Everything in this world is perishable. We are perishable. We are mortal. And the love, the ones that we love, they too are perishable. But the kingdom of God and the future to come is imperishable. It's undefiled. This future inheritance that we have reserved and guarded by God through faith, there will be no evil. And the sin and the shame that we feel even after we become Christians uh, will be done away with. And we can become those men and women that God intends us to be. But it also says that it is unfading. And the Greek word for unfading is mariano. It's the only time that it's used in the New Testament. But it's a word that means permanence. That it will never go away. That's how important we are in the eyes of God. And through the work of Christ, have that permanence. But the one thing I want to focus on before we come to the last point is what he says about being born again into a living hope. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? There's a lot of confusion about that word today. But I would suggest the way it's used today is not the way that the ancients understood the word or the audience that Peter was writing to. When we think about being born again people, we have the Hollywood version of a conservative person who was a moralistic person who was quite uh, churlish and and, uh, hard uh, to be around. Case in point would be church lady on Saturday Night Live. Uh, if, you, if you're too young for that part of Saturday Night Live, go, go uh, uh, to YouTube and look up Dana Carvey. I mean, it's hilarious. 
But that is, that is the view of Hollywood. But not only that, there's this view among uh, American evangelicals uh, that what it means is a personal decision. What Christ means to me, my own personal relationship with Christ, and that is true. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not true, but that's not what it means here. So if you really want to know where the idea of being born again comes from, it comes from Jesus. He was the first to coin it. And if you were to study John chapter 3, you will find this uh, religious man named Nicodemus, a, a, a religious ruler. And he comes to Jesus in the night, and he, and he seems to be open to what Jesus has to say about this business of the kingdom of God. And Jesus immediately says something that seems to be completely out of context. He says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again to understand the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying to Nicodemus? Maybe what he's saying to some of us here this morning, if you have vagaries and you're not real sure, he says that you have to start all over again. What it means to be born again into the kingdom of God is to see this whole new reality that you never saw before. Paul puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Paul is not speaking of some moral reformation or some white knuckling on your New Year's resolutions. But he's talking about seeing the world in a whole new different way because Christ's coming has conquered sin and death and has changed the history of the world. If anybody was testimony to this, it was the Apostle Paul. His entire life was a firm view of reality, a strong one. Many presuppositions that he was absolutely right about how he saw the world. And he, when Jesus Christ was being preached that he was raised from the dead, he immediately became an enemy of that for two reasons. One is because it was a threat to the political people of, of Israel. Paul understood the implication that if what they're saying is that all the nations will become the Israel of God, then what becomes of Israel? But maybe more importantly, it was because it challenged his own view of reality. And then Paul met Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus raised from the dead. And immediately Paul knew that whatever he believed before, however strongly he believed about it, it was wrong. That's what the new birth means. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all things are made new and the old is past and the new has come. Might I suggest this before coming to my final point? 
Is that maybe the reason some of you like to stay? And again, I want to be gentle about this. But I want you to think about this. If you're this person, I, I don't know if I'm speaking to everybody, but if you're here today and maybe you came with a family member or maybe you just showed up this Easter and you felt like you need to show up with Easter, but you still have these vagaries about the resurrection of Christ. You yourself have not been born into this living hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it because, like Paul, you have this strong view of the way you believe because it allows you to live the life that you want to live? But you see, here is the reality. Whether Christ was raised or not raised, all the freedoms that you seek, all the things, the name that you seek to make for, uh, for yourself, or to the fame or the success, death takes it down. It's done. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, according to the Apostle Paul, we are all still in our sins, and there is no hope. Ah, but he's raised. And because he is raised... We have this hope, this living, and it is certain. So that's the result of the resurrection. Has that resurrection power entered to you? Do you know that resurrection power in your own life? Well, here's uh, finally, and I have to be brief on this. We looked at the reality of of the resurrection and the result of the resurrection But I want us to see the replication of Jesus' resurrection. That resurrection power is to be demonstrated in us. And in fact, the word Christian uh, in the New Testament meant little Christ. Those who bear his image. And now that we have this resurrection uh, power, we can be his disciples. Do we know that he is the pearl of great price to be revealed in the end? And therefore, we're no longer driven by our circumstances. Uh, if we ha- have plenty and God has blessed us, we hold it loosely because we hold heaven and Christ tightly. And if some of you this morning are in, under severe trials, here he calls them grievous trials in verse 6. Though you're under grievous trials, you lay hold of Christ and you know that your suffering has a purpose and that purpose is to be conformed into the image of Christ so that we might bear that resurrection power in and through our lives. You see, because of the resurrection and the hope that we have, the Christian, unlike anybody else, has absolute reason to make sacrifices, to give their money, to give of their time, to love their enemies. Why? Because we have an, an inheritance, this unfading, unfading and permanent waiting for us. Verse, Peter, verse 8, Peter says that though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy in the inexpressible uh, Joy inexpressible and filled with glory. How is this possible? How can at the same time we have deep sorrow, but deeper joy? The Christian is not one who's a stoic. You enter into this pain. 
Or when you have joy, you know that, that those joys do not compare to the joy of having Jesus Christ, who's raised from the dead. This is how we replicate him. We, we, we share in the suffering of Christ. Paul says that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, sharing in his suffering. And why is, why is that how we replicate Christ? Well, let me tell you, Jesus didn't come into the world to be on a vacation. He didn't come into the world to make a name for himself. He didn't come into the world to be successful. He came in, into the world to glorify his father and to lift up the name of his father. And the way that he would do that is that he himself would suffer for us before his resurrection. And so Jesus, uh, so the writer of Hebrews says this, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let me conclude by saying this, that the mark of a true believer is that because he or she has been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, your whole perspective on life has changed forever. So I end by asking you, let me ask you this. What is your final answer? What is your answer? Final answer concerning Jesus Christ. Will you put your hope in him that is raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God? Are you, or, or, are you going to put your hope in faith and trust in everything that's passing away in this world? There you must answer that question. John Carpenter knew the final answer and joined the millionaire, millionaire club. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is the final answer, and you can become citizens of heaven this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that reveals to us uh, this powerful truth that Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Lord, work this word into our hearts. Father, for those who do not know you, I pray that they would consider you this morning that you are hope and life and joy because you're living and you're the pearl of great price. And Father, for believers who are suffering this morning and under grievous trial, Father, calls them to know that you know and you're guarding their faith until Christ is revealed. And we ask it in your name. Amen.